Father, well, that is true. The name of your Son, Jesus Christ, exalted over all. The one name under heaven by which we must be saved. The name that is above every name. The name that very soon every knee will bow before and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is Lord. And Lord alone over all. From that we exalt you. So Father, right now I pray you take this, take this church, your church, your bride, and would you purify her in spirit and in truth. Do your work of preparing her to meet you soon. Whatever we've brought in here, whatever anxieties, whatever fears, whatever struggles, God, I pray right now we would take you at your word and cast those on you, not carrying them in our pride, but casting them on you because you care for us. You love us deeply. You see them, you know them, and you want them. And so, Father, may you find your bride willingly casting those on you today and saying, here I am, Lord, speak to me. I need, I need your word of refreshment. I need your word of truth. I need your word of strength. I need your word of joy and of rest. Change me. Change me to love you more and be more like you. Help us, Lord. Guard my mouth from error and say what you want to say to get all the glory for what you desire to do. In Jesus' name, church, if you agree, say amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, praise the Lord. Happy anniversary, church. This is a big deal. This is a big deal in the life of God's kingdom. And we celebrate the work that he's done. And it is truly marvelous in our eyes. We do not take that for granted. Let's open up our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5b to 11. Verses 5b to 11. If you do not have a Bible in front of you, the ushers are coming forward right now. Just put your hand up and we want to put one in your lap so you can continue to follow along and study God's word. And if you do not have a Bible at home, please keep that as a gift for you so you can continue to study as we're going to see the vital importance today of studying God's word and standing firm in it. Little recap of where we are in our series. We're in, currently in a series called God's Heart for the Home. And the purpose is 1 Peter 5, not 6, 4 to 9. There you go. 1 Peter 5, and it's actually 5b to 11. 5b to 11. All right, there you go. Praise the Lord. He builds his church. Amen. Come on. There you go. So we're in a series called God's Heart for the Home. And the purpose of this series is to answer the question, what are God's desires for the home? What does he promise to bless and give support to in it? If we could sum it up, we'd ask it this way. What does a house being built by the Lord look like? Now, mind you, not just for the biological family but for the church family as well. This is all in, loved ones. We don't want anyone sitting here thinking, well, I don't have you know, kids at home, I don't have a spouse yet, so it doesn't apply to me. 
right? What is God's plan for building the house that he gives support to? And today we will be looking at one of the greatest weapons that God tells us we must, this is not an option, we must have if we are to see our homes rooted and established to endure through Jesus Christ and to fight against the increasing opposition, conflict, hurt, breakdown of the home that is around us that we see increasingly today. You don't have to look far to see this. And what's that weapon? Here it is. Humility. Humility. God's heart for the home is a heart for humility. Now, Thomas Schreiner, commentator from Southern Theological Seminary, love how he puts this. He says this, humility is the oil that allows relationships in the church and in the home to run smoothly and lovingly. I love that picture. Humility is the oil that allows relationships in the church and in the home to run smoothly and lovingly. And when it is present, loved ones, God always Take this to the bank 100% of the time. God always promises to bless, strengthen, equip, and establish the home through it every single time, no matter what it is facing. But if you've been around the church for a while, we, we tend to throw around this term humility a lot, and we don't want to assume that everybody knows what that means. So we need to get on the same page with this. So let's get some clarity on what God tells us humility is. The Greek term for humility used in this text, it is this. It means a lowliness, you'll see it on the screen, a lowliness of human pride. We're going to go slow through this definition. A lowliness of human pride that is God-reliant, not self-reliant. Does that not fly in the face of our culture today? The lowliness of human pride that is God-reliant, not self-reliant, here's what happens, and results in an attitude that one is not too good to serve. Instead of saying, serve me, it's, I'm not too good to serve. I will choose to serve you before me. It is produced by comparing ourselves to the Lord rather than to others. This brings behavior into alignment to keep one from being self-exalted and inflated. Now think about the conflicts you had with your friends this past week. The conflicts you had in your home this past week with your kids or with your spouse, with your extended family, maybe with your brothers and sisters in the church here. How much of those, how many of those conflicts would have been shut down if we were not trying to exalt ourselves, our opinion, our way? Boom. But there's a problem to us walking in humility. And the problem, if you've guessed it already, is this. Pride. Pride. This world that we live in, loved ones, promotes a high view of self, not a high view of God. If we're going to grow in humility, we need to grow in our view of God. The greatness of God. 
But this world promotes a high view of self. You see this all over in, in, in our job. Climb the corporate ladder. Get to the next level. Get to the next pay grade. Do this. You deserve. You get this. You work hard. Listen, we see this in, the, in our home. Promoting pride of the home. The size of the house. The size of the family. The size of the property. The size of your stuff. We see this in school. Students love the fact there's so many students in this church. We see this pride promoted through your grades and success. Get into that esteemed program. Then you'll be set. Really, really careful, careful. We see this through our possessions. The more stuff, the more we're worth. The more stuff you have, remember what we said a few weeks ago? It's like when you say, how are you doing? And someone says, busy. It's like busy is a badge of honor these days. Really? Really? How are you doing? Busy. How are you doing? Busy. And you say, let me guess, you're busy. Right? Right? Like that's the reality. We promote this. High view of self. It's like this badge of honor. You know, I got things to do. Here's the reality. We promote this in our relationship status. Elevating marriage. Elevating a family. Above singleness. Whoa, whoa, wait, like something's wrong with you if you're not married by like 30. Look, clock's ticking, don't you? Really? We even see this in entire movements that are launched called pride movements. The very name itself. And through this, it's through this mentality of you can do it. Just believe in yourself. How's that going to go? You train your kids in that, watch what happens. They are going to bottom out. You believe in yourself. Just work really hard. You'll get, you deserve the best of everything mentality. You deserve to have it all. How many signs, how many advertisements do we see? Have it your way. You deserve a break today. Yeah, you're going to get broken, all right. You deserve to be served how you want to be. You deserve to get what you want. You deserve to have people listen to you. Don't bother listening to them. We live in a world where lots of people are saying a lot of things and not many people are actually listening. Have you been on Twitter lately? You deserve to have your opinion heard, and it's the right one. Careful, careful. And the truth is this, as we look around, as we embrace this mindset, our homes, our churches, our relationships are crumbling and divided because of it. Why? Because here's the truth about pride. Pride never leads towards strengthening the house. It only destroys it. Pride will never lead you to strengthening the house. It will only destroy it. Me before you doesn't work. And here in our text today, we see three truths of humility we must embrace if we are to have God's favor on our house and see his kingdom advance in it and through it for his glory, no matter what comes against it. Let's read verse 5b to 11 from 1 Peter chapter 5, and let's stand to honor the authority of God's word. 
Peter says this, 5b, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Casting all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, God will build the house of the humble. God will build the house of the humble. We must make the choice for humility. Resolve. We must make the choice for humility. Resolve. Look at 5b to 6. Peter says this. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And that leads into our key question for this section. And it is this. God will oppose the proud. Am I casting my anxieties on him? God will oppose the proud. Am I casting my anxieties on him? Let's get some context first, though. It's about 64 AD right now. The apostle Peter is writing to the church in Rome to strengthen them. Why? Because they're undergoing increasingly intense persecution and opposition at the hands of the Romans, who are under the leadership of a ruthless emperor named Emperor Nero. One of the most brutal emperors of all time. And he had turned the nation against Christians by blaming them for the fire which burned down Rome. When in reality, all of history points to the fact that Nero himself started it in his lust for power. To rebuild the entire city the way he wanted it. But to get the pun intended heat off his back... He blames the Christians, suffering intense persecution. And, and this is threatening to bring down not only Christian households, but the entire church in Rome as well. And in verses 5 to 6, we see in response to this, how does Peter tell the believers to come against it? With swords and spears and clubs and try your own effort, do your thing? What does he say? He says to clothe clothe themselves with humility. The word clothe there means think of someone, uh, a servant in a kitchen and they tie on or a husband or a wife, they tie on an apron to do something or a guy going to a construction site, they tie on an apron and they fasten it over their clothes. This is the picture here that this word represents. To fasten or secure yourself with humility towards one another. Now recall, humility, the lowliness of pride coming from one that is completely dependent on the Lord and not themselves. To grow in dependency is to grow in humility. They're completely linked. Why does he tell them to do this above all? We read it. 
because God will oppose the proud, but he will give grace to the humble. He will give his blessing, his favor to the humble. Again, there's all these terms. We need to make sure we're on the same page. So um, let's truly understand this. What does that word proud mean in verse 5? That God opposes the proud. You'll see it on the screen. It means to show oneself above others. I'm better than you. I deserve you don't. To show your, I know what you're talking, I don't have to take correction from you. I know the way I'm living, I got this. I'm right, you're wrong. Really? To show oneself above others with contempt or to make oneself preeminent. I'm first place. My way goes. What I say goes. In short, if we could sum it up, It's us putting ourselves above God and others. Even though in our lips we may not declare that, our hearts sure do. Our lives sure do. Now, so if that's pride, now what does this word oppose mean? It's kind of like God's like, no, I'm just not going to kind of give you what you want. I'm not going to, let's look at the intensity of this word opposes. God wants us to understand today. Verse five, God opposes the proud. The Greek there means to square off. Really? You think that's going to work? To square off and set oneself against. To oppose intensely. When God opposes the proud, when you and I decide that we're going to walk in pride, we're going to continue in that argument in pride, we're not going to be teachable and humble ourselves under the authority of God's word in pride, we're not going to listen to counsel in pride, guess what we're doing? We are drawing a battle line against the Lord and he is drawing it against us. The picture here, to square off, means to draw the battle line. God will always draw his battle line against pride. Not to destroy you and me, but out of his love to deliver you and me. He will always draw his battle line against pride. Like, think about this. How do you think squaring off against God is going to really go for you and me? It's kind of like trying to beat God on Jeopardy. Really? You're toast. Right? You're really going to draw the battle line against God in that marriage conflict when you're with your spouse and you just want to prove you're right and instead of humbling yourself and seeking the Lord together, you're just stating your opinion and opinion and opinion. You're you're squaring off against the king. He's not going to bless it. He's going to bless you getting low. People, can you receive counsel, teaching, and instruction from God's word? And when you're exhorted in it, actually humble yourselves under it and say, no, nah, that's not for me. Yeah, maybe that's what God says, but I'm doing my own thing. Really? You're squaring off against the sovereign king of all things. He will oppose you every time we set our mouth to gossip and grumble and complain about his bride, the church. You are squaring off against the king. How's that going to go for you? This is a humbling word. In our lives we do this. I want the glory. I want my way, my time, my desires. Battle line drawn. We do this in our family where we are at the center of our lives. Our children become the center of our home. 
We do what we want with our entertainment, finances, values, time. And then we add in God on the side just to kind of bless us for good measure. You're drawing a battle line, loved ones. We do this in the church through a lack of teachability, through complaining, through grumbling. If you hear that in love, the greatest thing you can say is, that needs to stop. Now. More churches, I am convinced, get taken down by gossip and slander than by flat-out heresy being preached. That needs to stop. If that's going on. And we are called to engage it for the love of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 42 8. Why, did, why is God so intensely against pride? Because here's why Isaiah 42 8 says this I am the Lord, there is no other, and I will not share my glory with another. I will not share my glory with another. But then look at, he goes on to say, I love this, love this. God opposes the proud, so there's the battle line drawn, but look what he says. But he gives grace to the, say it with me, humble. He gives grace to the humble. What does that term grace mean? We hear that abused all the time. Well, you just need to have more grace with me. You need to have more grace to let me go on in my sin. You need to, really? Is that what grace means? Uh Uh-uh. Here's what grace means. God giving his favor or blessing to his people. God will not bless your sin. Grace does not allow you. Grace is not an excuse for sin to continue. Grace will confront the sin in love because God is confronting it to deliver you from it, not to destroy you in it. God giving his favor. He wants to give his favor. He wants to give his blessing, but he opposes the proud. Won't have it. He's not going to build the house of the proud. He'll build the house of the humble. You see, Peter knew, and we must know today as well, that if the people of God and the churches and the homes they were a part of were to be able to withstand the persecution or attack that was coming against them, we cannot rely on ourselves to stand up to what we face. We can't rely on ourselves, loved ones. They had to choose, we need to choose today to be dependent upon God alone and humble themselves under his mighty, sovereign hand for his wisdom, purposes, power, protection, and timing in what they were facing. And know that at the proper time, verse 6, at the proper time, what's the proper time, he says here, at the proper time? That's God's time. Everyone say, my time is not the proper time. God's time is the proper time. Thank you, Looney. All right? God's time is the proper time. That means when he's accomplished his purpose through that. It's not your time when you think you should be lifted up. And God is going to, at the proper time, lift you up. It might be in this life, it might be in the next, but he's going to lift you up. The term lift you up means he's going to lift your spirits He's going to lift your spirits as we humble ourselves under his mighty, sovereign, powerful hand. Now, now think about today. Look around today. How prone are we to not humble ourselves under God's mighty hand? How prone are we to do this? How many conflicts, how much worry, how much stress, how much anxiety 
and breakdown and dysfunction in the home and in the church are a result of us refusing to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. You and I were never meant to carry that stuff. Instead of trusting God for his wisdom, we try to rush in ours. Instead of trusting him in his timing, we try to force our own agenda for when we want something done and how. Instead of humbling ourselves toward each other here in the church and in the home and in our relationships, we try to win the argument. Prove we're right and you're wrong. Instead of humbling ourselves under God's way, we want our way and we criticize and grumble and complain and fight. And we expect him to bless it. Not happening. He loves us too much for that. The truth is this. You'll see it on the screen. God only bestows his favor to those who acknowledge their need for him. God's not looking for help to get things done. God's looking for those who call for help. He's not looking for help. Well, if my spouse changes this way, then we'll be good in our marriage. Listen, God's not interested in your help. He's looking for those who call for help. Well, if that church brother or sister would just shape up, if that pastor would just grow some hair, then I'd be okay. Really? Really? God's not looking for your help. Okay? He's looking for those who call for help. Are you? Is that resemblance of your home, of this church? One of the best indicators of that is prayer nights. Isaiah 66.2, God says, This is the one to whom I will look. He who is, what's first on the list? Humble and contrite spirit and trembles at my word. And you may say, how do we do this? I mean, how is the house, here's the beautiful truth, that the house that is choosing humility before God is the house that's choosing the blessing of God. The house that is choosing humility before God under his word, under his plan, in the conflict, in the anxiety, in the health crisis, in, in the struggle, in the persecution, in the opposition, is the home that is choosing the blessing of God. And you may say, well, how do we do this on a day-to-day basis, in the moment of conflict? What does humbling ourselves look like? Look at he tells us right here. Love God's word, so clear, so kind to give us this. Verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, based on that, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. It means you can't get up on your own. He may exalt you. Here's how. Here it is, verse 7. Casting. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. The word casting there means this, to throw upon or to give up to God. I'm going to get my jacket up here in a moment, and, and I'm going to show you what this looks like. To throw upon or to give up to God. The picture is this, thank you, that the picture is this of having a coat that you're wearing. This is your anxiety. This is your fear. This is your worry. This is your doubt. This is your stress. This is your unknown. This is your pride for your conflict and wanting to get. This is all of that situation you face and you're wearing it. This is the picture. God, 
I can't do this myself. I'm going to call Tom up here. He's going to demonstrate with me. There you go. Tom, you're just going to get you to turn around. God, I cannot do this myself. I can't walk in pride and expect your blessing. And I am choosing right now to cast, to throw upon that fear on you. I need your help. I am choosing right now to set my heart upon you. To set my heart who you promise you will keep him in perfect peace whose eyes are fixed on you. I am going to set this worry over my health crisis on you right now. I'm not meant to carry that. I'm going to set this worry and this doubt and this conflict with my spouse on you. Knowing that you will change me and change them for your glory when I do. And I cannot. I am going to set this stress on you right now. And exchange that for your peace and for your joy right in the middle of this. I am going to exchange my fear of man. That's going on you and I'm going to take on the fear of the Lord. I'm going to cast my anxieties on you because that is an act of humility to say you are God and I am not. How much different would our homes look right there? You are God and I am not. You're the only one who can carry it. Thank you, Tom. You are God. And I am not. I'm choosing by faith to walk under your mighty hand for your peace, your joy, your plans, your purposes, your timing, and your glory. Please give me the strength. Please give me the strength and please prompt me, Holy Spirit, to, and remind me of when I'm choosing to try to take that coat back and put it on. Once it's cast, it stays. Don't take it. And you may say, well, I casted two minutes ago and I'm still fear. Cast again. Well, I casted yesterday. Cast again. Keep the, the, the imperative here is ongoing. It's not past tense. It's like once you've done it once and stopped doing it, keep casting. Keep casting, keep praying, keep casting. Because here, Tom Schreiner puts it this way. He goes, worry is a form of pride. Because when believers are filled with anxiety, they are convinced they must solve all the problems in their lives in their own strength. The only God they trust is in themselves. That's what you get from wearing the coat. I got this. When believers throw their worries upon God, they express their trust in his mighty hand, acknowledging that he is Lord and sovereign over all of life. And you take on his peace. And then trying to prove you're right in that argument, it's not as important at all. Loved one, question, are you humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God by casting your anxieties on him or are you trying to carry them yourself? What did you walk in here today with you're trying to carry that's not yours? The word cares there, love this in verse seven. You know what that word cares means? So tender. It means you are, how you have a God who takes his interest in you very seriously. He loves you deeply. He sees what you're going through. He knows what you're going through and how it's impacting you better than you do and I do. 
He knows what you're facing and he has great personal concern for you in it. And he will act on your behalf at the right time, his time, if you choose to humble yourself under him and trust him. What do you need to cast on him today? What do you need? Right there. See, God will build the house of the humble. We must resolve to choose humility. And when we do, because humility is a choice, we don't just naturally drift towards it. Humility is a choice. And when we choose humility, we must stand firm in humility, resist. We must stand firm in humility, resist. Look at verses 8 and 9. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. The key question we're confronted with by this truth is this. The house has an enemy. Am I resisting him faithfully? The house has an enemy. Am I resisting him faithfully? Look at verses 8 and 9. Peter warns the believers that they have an enemy. Who's the enemy? The devil. The devil that is actively working. See that term prowling means actively working against them to stop the kingdom of God advancing in and through them. And notice how he describes the devil here. He's always actively prowling. The the term prowl there means this, to tread all around in full circle, making a full circuit so that not one possible opportunity is missed. He prowls around, making a full circuit. Your life, your home, this church, harvest kids, welcome ministry, all of it, full circuit. There isn't one spot he overlooks. around every area of your life trying to tear down the house that God is desiring to build and it's the same today. He hasn't changed. It's the same today. We're fooling ourselves if we think we don't have an enemy. And Peter tells them that if they're not resisting him by standing firm in humility and dependence on God in each area, then he will, what will he do? What will he do? Verse eight, Satan will devour them. The Greek word for devour there it's not like, here, I'll take a little bite here and a little bite, a little nibble over here. The Greek word devour means to destroy or consume. Destroy. What does that do for raising you up to want to fight for your family and your church and for the faith in your life? This is why you cannot pridefully stand in opposition to God in your sin and think that somehow you have a chance to resist the devil from destroying your home, your life, and your church. John 10.10 says this. Jesus says, The thief, that is Satan, comes to steal, kill, and there's that word again, destroy. Jesus says, But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, just think about this picture, okay? A lion is known to stalk its prey, waiting for the time when it's at its most vulnerable. And at that moment, he will chase and he will pounce. 
John MacArthur puts it this way. Satan and his forces are always active. They don't take a day off. That's why we can't, loved ones. Looking for opportunities to overwhelm the believer with temptation, persecution, and discouragement. Satan sows discord. It means disunity. He accuses God to men. Notice this. You ever heard this? Can you really trust that God, what God says is true? He's accusing God to men. God didn't deliver you. He's not looking at you. He doesn't see what you're going through. It's time to take up your own mantle and do it your way. See this? He accuses God to men. But look at He accuses men to God, and he accuses men to men. Complain about your brother or sister. Complain about your spouse. Complain about your kids. Gossip about them. Do that. You deserve that. Did you see what they did? This is what he does. He hasn't changed. He will do what he can to drag the Christian out of fellowship with Christ and out of Christian service. To sum that up, you'd say this. Just as God has a plan for your home, just as God has a plan for your life, just as God has a plan for this church, Satan's got a plan too. Satan's plan is to devour us. God's plan is to deliver us. You don't have to look very far. Here are two-year anniversary. Couldn't pick a better message for two years of anniversary. Do you think Satan's plan to devour us will involve having another fruitful two years of kingdom advancement and lives being changed and homes being strengthened in the gospel? Really? Is that his plan? His plan is to start the gossiping today. The complaining, the grumbling, I'm not getting my way. That's his plan. And he's making the circuit. Who's vulnerable? Who's not standing firm? And you don't have to look. Literally, loved ones, the moment I pushed print of printing this manuscript, I receive an email from our fellowship saying that one of the churches in our fellowship has now shut its doors as of this Sunday because their pastor has just fallen into a fair. This is not a game. There are believers across this world that have no church to go to now. No more small groups. This isn't a game. Satan's plan, and, and so often we don't, we don't look, we, we don't look at Satan like a roaring lion. We think he's like a domesticated kitty cat. We can just put a leash on him and feed him and dabble in our sin. No, oh, it's not a big deal. He's not. Really? Here, here's the truth. You can't handle it. You can't handle what Satan's going to throw because he's not the least bit intimidated by the resistance that we try to give from depending on ourselves and our own strength. He's not intimidated by that. He laughs at that. He's not afraid of you and me. He's not afraid of you and me. There is only one name by which he is resisted and will flee every time. And that is the name of the Lion of Judah, the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? Every time he has to flee. And this is why we must humble ourselves under him and stand firm and resist the devil. So you say, well, how do we do this? Okay, it's one thing to say, praise the Lord, he tells us. Oh, Lord. Three ways, humble resistance. Here it goes. Get your pens ready. Humble resistance in the church, in the home, in our lives. Number one is spiritually alert and not apathetic. It knows the house is vulnerable. 
Humble resistance is spiritually alert and not apathetic. It knows the house is vulnerable. Look at verse 8a. It says this. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The word watchful there means this. Vigilantly attentive. Vigilantly attentive. On guard against and exercising self-control. See, here's the truth. Trusting in the house... Trusting the house to God's sovereignty, loved ones, does not mean we live carelessly. Big difference. We say, well, I'm trusting God, and whatever's going to happen, I'm just going to go do that, dabble in the sin. Trusting in the sovereignty of God over the house to build it doesn't mean we live carelessly. We must stay spiritually alert. Where's that temptation? When that temptation comes, are you alert to it? When there's something going on in your home, Are you alert to it? Do you know what's happening? The entertainment choices that are being put on the screen, the the music that is being listened to. When you hear something in a conversation with one of your kids or your spouse or a brother or sister in this church, that's not right. We got to address that. Are we spiritually attentive when the accuser's voice, that's what devil means, slanderer, when the accuser's voice starts to accuse God to us, can he really be trusted? Are we attentive to that or are we apathetic? Yeah, God can't be trusted. How do we do this? Through a strong prayer life, praying over our homes, praying over our churches. Come to the prayer meeting, loved ones, please. Come to the prayer meeting. By casting our anxieties on him, by having time in the word. We can't stand firm on the word when we're not in the word. And living in accountability with others so that they can recognize and address the temptations we are compromising through. The grumbling, the greed, the lust, the values we're taking on, the advice we're believing, the apathy. And men, if you're here, you're home, we are called to lead in this. And one of the best ways you can lead, guys, is to ask your wife. Because you and I don't know what we don't see. And it's really hard to see the full picture from the inside of the frame. You and I need outside eyes. Living in accountable relationships. Working together in unity with your spouse and brothers and sisters in Christ. So question. Are you spiritually alert for what is happening in your home? In your marriage? In this church? In your personal life? Are you spiritually alert? Asking yourself, does this line up with what God's truth says? This message I'm hearing? What I'm seeing? Does it line up? Next one. Three ways humble resistance. Spiritually alert, not apathetic. It knows the house is vulnerable. Number two, it stands firm in faith. It depends on and obeys God's word. 9a. Resist him firm in your faith. See, believers are called to stand firm in their faith. How? Through dependency on and obedience to God's word. As they constantly turn to God, grow in their knowledge of the truth, and obey it in his power, they resist the devil. That's why Ephesians 6 says, the Bible is the sword of the spirit. When it's talking about the armor of God, did you notice the sword is the only offensive weapon we're given? That's the word of God. Everything else is for defense. 
shield, breastplate, helmet. The sword is for offense. We resist the devil by clinging to his word. James 4, 7, resist the devil and he will flee. There's a promise. He will flee. By, how do you do that? Verse 8 in James 4, by drawing near to God and he will draw near to you. So question, question. Are you standing firm in the faith? Are you growing in your knowledge of God's word and by his spirit increasingly asking him to help you obey it? We, have, we live in a world that has way more knowledge than we do obedience to God's word. Do our homes reflect that? Does our church reflect that? Are we asking God, do this in me? Help me stand firm and resist. And what's your next step for that? Guys, I looked at our welcome desk today. There's tons of reading plans, God Time 101 books. Get in, start there. Start there. You know, um, there's a resource table back there. Open up your Bible. Open it up with the kids. There's a Harvest Kids website as I had launched it last week. There's, there's resources on there for you and your family. Stand firm. Every time you take an act to open that word, you're saying, I'm choosing to resist right now and stand in humility on God's word. Every time. Lastly is this. Humble resistance is spiritually alert, not apathetic. It stands firm in faith, and here it is. It remembers, I am not alone. Others are going through this with me. I am not alone. Others are going through this with me. Look at back half of nine. Resist him, firm in your faith. Here it is. Knowing, that means it's happening, that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. The word suffering there means the same kind of trials, the same kind of feelings, the same kind of emotions, the same kinds of agonies, the same kinds of conflicts that you are experiencing in your marriage, that you are struggling with in your personal life, that we as a church may be struggling with. They are being experienced by our brothers and sisters throughout the world. Be encouraged. If I could sum that up, i just say this. You're not the only one going through what you're going through. You and I are not the only ones going through what we're going through. That should encourage us because here's the detriment to thinking that mentality. No one will understand. And then one of your brothers and sisters gives you counsel through God's word. Yeah, but... You don't get it because you're not in the same... Loved ones, I get it. We're not in the same circumstance. But God understands and he's written his word that will speak into every circumstance, loved ones. Whether the person giving it to you understands fully what you're going through or not, God's word stays the same. Because the danger... In thinking, I'm the only one going through this, and if that person hasn't gone through it, then I won't listen to God's word. The danger is we start to isolate ourselves. We start to pull back from the community. And this is exactly, because you have to understand, if God wants community, the enemy wants your isolation. If God wants you in community, the enemy wants to be that roaring lion to drag you out. That's what the lion does with the prey. It drags it away from the pack. He wants to isolate you. Loved one, know this. Remember, God cares for you. He understands what you're going through right now. His word never changes. He loves you deeply. And he has guided, is guiding, and will guide many others through what you're facing. The same kinds of trials. He wants you to think you're alone. The devil does. God says you are not. And he will do deliverance for you as you humble yourself under it, whether in this life 
or the life to come. So the question is this, are you isolating yourself today? Say, well, I'm walking in sin and I don't want community. I don't want people speaking into that. So I'm just going to isolate my loved ones. You are loved. You are loved by God. You are loved by his church. Stop isolating yourself. Stop. Are you? Who do you need to share with about what you're going through and then humble yourself under the counsel from God's word? That's the one thing. We'd like to share, but we don't want to humble ourselves under the truth of God's word. And therefore, we oppose him and he us to deliver us. See, it takes humility to do this, doesn't it? It takes humility to admit this. It takes humility to confess, I need help. And that person might not understand completely, but God understands completely and will speak through them from his word because it doesn't change. God will build the house of the humble We must resolve to choose humility and resist by standing firm in humility. And lastly is this. We must remember that as we do this, we will see victory through humility, restoration. Look at verses 10 and 11. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, look at this promise, restore confirm, strengthen, and establish you to him be the dominion. That is the power, that is the authority, that is the sovereignty forever and ever, amen. And the question we are confronted by this glorious truth is this. Jesus Christ will fulfill his promises. Will I trust in him? Jesus Christ will fulfill his promises Will I trust in him? See, Peter finishes by reminding the believers of God's power, God's dominion and authority and sovereignty over what they will face. No, be encouraged. Hey, loved ones, those of you who are single, there is no stress that you will come up with students in your, in your exams coming up next month. There is no stress you're about to face that God is not over. There is none. There is no anxiety. Parents, it, Young adults, there is no anxiety, there's no fear, there's no conflict that you will face. God is not over. And as we humble ourselves and trust in him, he will deliver us through that and his blessing and favor will be on it. There's nothing. Be encouraged. No matter what we face, there's a promise of restoration, strength, and establishment that they will have through Jesus Christ in this life and with him for eternity. With him for eternity. He can be trusted, loved ones, in the hurt, in the pain, in the loss, in the suffering. He can be trusted. He can be trusted. And your labor in humbling ourselves under him is not in vain. Loved ones, as we close out today, I'll leave you with this. The suffering, the affliction, the temptation of believers is intense. The attack on the home, the attack on the church is intense. But God's grace is stronger still. Amen? God's grace is stronger still. He will never leave us or forsake us and he will always fulfill his promises. Hey, last time I checked, Ottawa was the most unreached English-speaking city in North America. 
And when we chose to church plant her, people said, you're nuts. Why are you going there? Go somewhere there's a more greater percentage of believers. I'm like, it kind of defeats the purpose of church planning. And God is building his church. And God will continue to do that. If we walk in humility, he will, you will see his blessing on this church, his favor on this church. I don't want the ministry he wanted to entrust us to be given to others because we weren't faithful. God will still build his church. But the question is, will we be in the position for him to use us? How? Because Jesus Christ humbled himself and came to earth and walked in perfect humility before God and man. Jesus Christ stood firm in his faith and resisted the devil in humility every time he was tempted, even to the point of death on a cross to forgive us our sin. And after his death on the cross, he was raised from the dead three days later, achieving victory over the devil for all time. And he was restored by God the Father and given authority over all heaven and earth and the name that is above every name. That's our God. This is the great hope of the gospel. This is the great hope of the gospel. Jesus wins in your face, Satan. The question is, will we humble ourselves under him and trust in him to build the house? And if you're here and you've never trusted Christ as your personal savior, you're trying to see your home below, you're trying to see your life below on something that you think is gonna last, it ain't gonna last. <clears throat> There's only one who builds the home, one who only builds the life to endure, and that is Jesus Christ. And your first step is to say, God, I need you. I'm running from you, but I confess you as my Lord and savior. I cast my sin upon you, knowing that you purchased my forgiveness on the cross. I am yours. That's your first step of humility. That's the first step to freedom. And for believers, let me ask this. Where do, where do you need, where do I need to humble myself, yourself, before the Lord and see him build the house next? What does he just illuminate right here? Think back through what we just spoke of and will you trust him? Will you trust him with it? Because he will come through guaranteed, always. Let's pray. Father, you will build the house of the humble. And right now, I pray, as your Holy Spirit goes to work, we would be so quick to be cast, like thousands of anxieties and cares would be cast on you right now from this room. Repentance and freedom and would replace anxiety and stress and fear and worry and doubt as they are cast on you. We're not taking that stuff back. We're not putting that code of anxiety back on. We're not putting the code of fear back on. God, I pray right now for just a spirit of release. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, for those who've been trying on their own for so long right now, they would see their desperate need for you and call on your name to say, Jesus Christ, I need you as my savior. Help me build this house for your glory. God, as a church, I pray you would continue to lead, guide, and establish this church that we would keep in step with your spirit. Help us, Lord. Help us to do that. So prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God that we love. Help us, Lord, and establish us for your glory. In Jesus' name.
Amen.